Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in the little uh, uh, sub-study we're doing, uh, we're taking a little break from our working through the Old Testament uh, because we finished Exodus a few weeks ago, and before we hop into Leviticus, thought it would be a good time to talk about Easter and the events surrounding Easter. So we're doing just a four-week run-up. We've done the first two parts. This is week number three. And today I want to talk about the crucifixion. And next week we'll talk about resurrection. But today I want to talk about the crucifixion. And um, as we've sort of been working through this, this last week um, in, in Jesus' you know, uh, earthly uh, time, ministry in the flesh um, with us, it, you know, before he comes back again and all that other good stuff. So uh, how he came in, you know, in a very triumphal way, the triumphal entry, we looked at that. And how quickly things have gone south, um, for lack of a better, you know, just in a few days, uh, the, everything's turned against him. And, and now, basically, uh, we'll see him be utterly rejected uh, as the uh, Messiah King. That people have uh, they've decided, you're not, at, you're not him for us. We don't care about the miracles, the signs, all this stuff. We, we, you're done. And we're going to watch that um, happen in our uh, reading today. So I want to jump into the first reading. It's in Matthew 27, 27 through 54. And I believe that should be in your notes. Uh, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour... Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran to get a sponge and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, 
And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, as we come to the beginning of this, of this text, uh, Jesus has already felt numerous blows of rejection. Judas has betrayed him. Peter has denied him. The disciples have abandoned him. The courts have found him guilty of blasphemy. And the crowd has cried out for his crucifixion. And, and now the descent continues as we engaged in our reading. The, the Roman soldiers sort of dramatize mankind's rejection of Jesus as king. They, they play this mean game, this sadistic game with Jesus, outfitting like a king, but with a cast-off robe, a crown of thorns, a reed scepter, and a mocking tribute. Hail, King of the Jews. Um, it, it, it would have been horrible for anyone to endure, but, but you know, this is Jesus, whose, whose rightful throne is encircled by uh, um, a rainbow resembling an emerald, in, in, the, in Revelation says, whose rightful attendants are 24 elders, also seated on thrones, and thousands upon thousands of angels, and, and beings too extraordinary for, uh, you know, description that we can understand, whose rightful worship uh, resounds with holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and that that's what's happening around the throne room of God, you know, all the time, this, this re respondent, you know, amazing worship. And that's what Jesus, the King, is, is, deserves. And yet here in this time, he's mocked and beaten and uh, humiliated in this whole process. And uh, these, these Roman guards sort of make this parody of him. Um, uh, and, and it's along with the, the rejection of the, of the world at that time. And the entire event uh, of the crucifixion shouts rejection. And it's, it's all been prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, he was taken outside the holy city, um, rejected by the people, just like the sin offering that we read about in, in Deuteronomy. He was offered wine mixed with gall, which, which tasted like bile. And um, sometimes people have said they think it was like a narcotic or something, but more likely it was just more of this mocking sort of rejection. And it was predicted in Psalm 69, 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. He was crucified on a, on a man-made tree, which was the sign of uh, God's curse. Deuteronomy 21, 23. You must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. His clothes were confiscated, leaving him nothing. Again, fulfilling um, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, which is a psalm of the Messiah's rejection. Uh, psalm 22, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. They, they crucify him between two criminals, two robbers, which was uh, Isaiah 53, 12, let us know what's going to happen. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, the criminals. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So, so rejection is like, you know, in every single act that we see taking place, 
during this um, crucifixion and had all been prophesied of the coming Messiah, that these are the things that would happen, but nobody seems to catch what's going on. And, and they're, they, they're, the crowds are taunting Jesus throughout this time, um, you know, by saying things like, you know, you can't build a new table, temple, you can't even save yourself, you aren't the king of Israel, you can't even come off of this Roman cross, you aren't the son of God, because God won't save you, God doesn't want you. These were the things that they were saying to Jesus, and, and think about, you know, to Jesus, the fully God, fully man, the one who came to seek and save that which was lost, the one whose mission was to rescue us from darkness, and, and the very ones that he'd come to to rescue rejected him, and, and they've, they've come in force. It, you know, I, I try and think about what that must have been like for Jesus to have everybody leave him, all, everybody, you know, friends and the people that had been cheering, everybody was gone. And then, in, in a situation that's hard for us to comprehend, God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, when Jesus takes on the sin of the world, when He takes on our sin, um, there's, there's this time where, where something happens in, in the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. Uh, and... and Darkness covers the area when that happens. It's like this, this is such a, uh, uh, something so, so holy and so terrible that no one can see it. And, and uh, it was also, you know, a part of, of God's judgment in, in uh, Amos 8, 9, and 10. It says, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. And so it's, it's this event that has to happen. Um, it, it's, it's known, you know, as the cry of desolation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And... Uh, Jesus is, is again quoting a psalm, but it's a it's a something that needed to happen in order for our sin to be paid for. Jesus would take it on, and and um, God the Son, God the Father, forsakes God the Son for that time because He can't be in the presence of sin, and the Son bears the sin of all us for all, and and pays for it in order that all of us can be reconciled back. To God, so He's our sin bearer. In those moments, He was He was no longer spotless. He was stained with our sin, having never sinned, stained with our sin. And, and so, uh, for that time, He was He was, you know, in our covered and, and guilty with our mess that that He He had to take and deal with um, for us in that whole presence. And and so uh, He takes it on in our behalf. And, and then when it's done, when it's accomplished, when he's paid for sin, he, he, verse 50 says he gave up his spirit. He breathes his last and he dies. So Jesus endures all of that rejection for us. He, he died because of our sin and for our sin. Gave up his life paying for our sin. Um, and, and this is what takes place there on the cross. Um, and, and the whole time, you know, that mocking, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And, and yet, uh, he, he couldn't have saved himself because 
He didn't come to save himself. He came to save us. And that's what he was doing. And, and so we, we hold all that in, in point. But as he dies, and as he's rejected as king, he inaugurates the kingdom of God, a brand new kingdom life. And some amazing things happen in those last few verses of this chapter. And they're great and amazing things, verses 51 through 54. And, and um, when you read them, and, and where, the, where Matthew has them, all this, all this rejection and mess and death and, and suffering and everything, and all of a sudden these amazing few things take place um, be, as a result of what's happened. The first thing that happens in verse 51 is that the, the curtain, the, the, the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom. Thick, heavy curtain. And um, the, that temple where that happened in Jerusalem would be used for another 40 years, but um, at the moment Jesus did his thing, it was absolutely obsolete. At the moment Jesus died for us, that curtain was torn because it didn't need to be there. The, the, um, no more sacrifices were needed from that point in time. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, all of the priesthood becomes unnecessary at that point in time, the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. Um, from that point on, they're just going through the motions. All of the festivals are fulfilled. Everything happens at that point in time. Uh, and by, by being rejected as, their, as Messiah King, Jesus opens the way to God and closes the door forever on the Old Testament way of doing things. And so this is amazing significance. And you know, if you've been following along with me in our times on Wednesday nights in Genesis and Exodus, you know, we know that in the beginning, um, God was fully present with Adam and Eve. And all of creation was filled with the presence of God. And so at, at in, in initially, you know, all of creation was a temple for God's presence. But when the fall came, we know sin changed everything. And um, the, the fallen world experienced the absence of God's presence. And then in Exodus, we see, you know, the, the, uh, the, t the tabernacle, the, the tent being, uh, the tabernacle being put together. And we've been reading all about that and how they made these curtains, remember? And there was a curtain that was made that separated um, the, the, the holy of holies from everything else. And that that's where the literal presence of God was, was behind that curtain. And only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year to atone for sin. And we just read about all of the stuff he had to go through to get in there. You know, there, there was a huge ceremonial washing, and, and he had to wear the right things in the right ways, and, and uh, he had to be without blemish and everything to, to have access to the presence of God, and only to, like I said, deal with people's sin for that time. Um, and so this whole thing that we've been reading about is constructed and, and behind the curtain of the holiest of holies, there's a the presence of God, there's all other things going up there, but nobody really has access to it that way until Jesus comes and dies on the cross. And when he exchanges his life, that curtain, that veil is torn because now we all have access to God in Christ. God chooses to see us. I talk about this time in the perfection of his son and, and now we're we're, so that we have and can enjoy His presence. Hebrews 9, 1 through 3. Now the first covenant, all the Old Testament stuff, had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In His first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. And that's where the presence of God. We've just studied all of that. 
Matthew 27, 50, 51 again. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split um, because of what happened. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. If you've come here for any length of time, you know this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When Jesus died on that cross, the heavy curtain was torn. So now in Christ we have access to the literal presence of God. Confidence to enter the most holy place because of what Jesus has done. So, I mean, when you, when you think about what that means, this access you now to have God. So, so, like, when you prayed this week, your prayers were heard because the veil was torn. When, when, you, when you're forgiven for your sins, you're forgiven because the veil is torn. When, when you enjoy the presence of the Lord, it's because the veil was torn. Um, uh, when you think of your, you know, eternal life with Him, it's because the veil was torn at that moment in time. And so it's an amazing thing that happens. The, the, the curtain is torn. We have access to God. Then there's another neat thing that happens. Verses 51 through 53. And, and uh, let me read it to you again. It's kind of an interesting little story. In case you missed it. I should have copied it down in the other part of my notes, but I didn't. It's a long time to go backwards. Here we go. The, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs, listen to this, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. That's pretty interesting, right? You don't have that happen every day. <laughs> I bet most of you have never seen that actually happen. And even, even thinking about it is really amazing. And people go, well, what's going on? And so um, they're, they're, when you read it, there probably is a comment in the wrong space because it sounds like when the rock split, these people popped out. Um, what we really believe has happened is that the rock split, all this stuff happens. Then when Jesus rises and defeats death, this little... Um, group of people also pops up, uh, which is pretty cool. And you think, well, that's, that's kind of weird. You don't talk about that much. Here's the thing. So um, and think about it this way. So here the, the one that they had rejected as Messiah, who they said couldn't even save himself, uh, is, is amazing enough in his death uh, he defeats death, and he breaks open the dungeons of the dead, and this little crop of people pop up in the process. And, and, uh, and so, you know, and it, it hints to our future as saints walking out of death. But here's, here's the thing. So um, the, the, the people of Israel, we've talked about this, had feasts that they celebrated. 
every year, seven feasts that they were required to celebrate. The first three every year were Passover, unleavened bread, and one called early first fruits. And they all happen in that three-day period. Uh, that's how they all are observed. Passover happens, unleavened bread happens right after it, and, and then Sunday is this early first fruits celebration. All right, and, and that early first fruits is a, it's a, it's the smallest harvest of the year that's celebrated. So, so that's a harvest. So Jesus fulfills perfectly, date specifically, Passover because he's a sacrificial lamb and he hits it perfectly. And then early, um, then um, unleavened bread because he said, I'm the bread from heaven. This is my body broken for me. He fulfills that one perfectly body broken on the cross. And then early first fruits is a very first harvest festival. It's a very small one. So the very first harvest that was celebrated was these 500 or so people that raised from the dead with Jesus and, and are walking around and seeing. How long they hang around, I don't know. It doesn't say. But they were raised from the dead, first harvest. Now you, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, the next of the feast, if you, if you know the seven feasts, is Pentecost. You guys have heard of that, right? Pentecost. So, and that happens 50 days later. That's why it's called Pentecost. Seven Sundays in a day. So, Pentecost, 50 days later. All right, so Pentecost is fulfilled too because the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And Pentecost is another harvest festival. And it's bigger than the first one, but it's not the biggest one. It's a, it's a good one, but it's not the biggest one. What happens at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes? Peter preaches under the anointing of the Spirit, and thousands of people are added to the church. 3,000 men plus women and children. 10,000 maybe? So, so you have another harvest of souls that happens. That first one's pretty cool, breaking out of the tomb. Got to admit, that's pretty cool. Um, and, then, and then Pentecost is another harvest. Thousands of people, the church starts on that day. So, so that's number four. There's three feasts left. Uh, trumpets, judgment, atonement, Tabernacles, all right? So there's seven feasts all the time. So we've, now these four have been fulfilled. Trumpets is another big, it's, that's the big harvest feast. At trumpet sound, it says, when trumpet sounds, that's the end of the harvest. And so these four have already happened. We're waiting on number five. We're in a tension between four and five. We're waiting for trumpets. What else did we just study that happens at trumpets? That's when, when, a, when a bridegroom comes for his bride, right? Trumpets, he blows a trumpet so she's ready. So <laughs> this next trumpet is, is our bridegroom returning for us as a bride, so we're supposed to be ready. And it's also the end of the harvest season. We're going to go back with him. That's coming. That's number five. Six is judgment, which, you know, fortunately, we, we, ours was taken at the cross. We passed that one. The last one's tabernacles, and those three happen all together. Tabernacles is Jesus went to make a praise for us, right? And uh, he's coming back when it's ready because we know that from the last thing we studied. So those three are going to happen at some point. And we know those three are going to happen because those first four happened. It's just now, it's like easy. Well, you see, got seven, and if four have been fulfilled, it's pretty easy to know the other three are going to happen. It's just when. So when does trumpets happen? Trumpets happens when God sends Jesus back for us. That's it. That's the end of the harvest. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stay busy until he comes. Pretty cool stuff, though, right? So all these things are happening in the process. And then verse 54 these centurions and soldiers, they're the same governor's soldiers that had been abusing Jesus and mocking him as king and crucified him as a criminal. And you know what they say? <gasps> Surely this was the Son of God. Wow. Huge statement when you consider its source. 
to what was happening. All, all of a sudden, all the darkness and the shaking and the whole deal. And, <gasps> surely this was the Son of God. Pretty significant. So um, that's where we're at. And I, I, I jumped ahead a little talking about the feast. But next week we'll talk about resurrection and all that that means for us and what that looks like. And uh, I hope that those things sort of help you as we celebrate Easter so that it's, uh, it's a big deal, all these things that happen. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and join us. And uh, we'll see you soon. But that's, uh, that's good for today.